Blog Talk Radio. If I were to click on one, then what happens? I for what's at stake in global politics and source for the social, economic, and political impact of public policy on African American communities. Your host, Kelly Michael Wilkins, is a political strategy veteran who has led this campaign as a political experience that spans nearly three decades. Mayor Willie Brown in California, President Barack Obama in our nation's capital. So get ready for a fresh and honest approach on the politics that affect you and your family the most. Now, your host, Kelly Michael Williams. John Lewis sparked the nation in 1964 when he and hundreds of African Americans sought to reclaim their constitutional rights, their civil rights, their inalienable rights, their rights to vote as they crossed the Edmund Pettus Bridge. That bridge, named after the Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan, was something that they needed to fight for, be active for, and be resigned for. That march across the bridge was a moment in time that forever changed America and culminated in the signing of the Civil Rights Act of 1965. On May 25th of this year, in the middle of the day, much like John Lewis, many of America watched as another beating took place, resulting in the death of George Floyd. Much like John Lewis, it was caught on camera. And much like John Lewis, it changed the nation. It impacted the nation. It impacted the world. And it, in and of itself, caused many people to understand and see exactly why black lives are so seriously and why black lives matter. I want to thank you for joining us. I want to welcome you to the black lives, excuse me, black politics today. And it's about us. Town hall meeting right here on black politics today. Some of you are listening to us live on blog talk radio. And some of you are watching us on uh, Facebook as well as YouTube. So for those of you who are watching us on Facebook and YouTube, if you have any questions or comments, you can certainly put them in there, as well as if you have any, uh, 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 if you want to call in, you can give us a call at uh, 516-590-0143. That's 516-590-0143, and we'll be toggling back and forth uh, between the two so that we can make sure that we can get everyone questions and, and, and help you out. If you have any questions or comments, that you want to make, we'll make sure we have that with you. Uh, we'll have that and we'll get that for you. So I want to thank you all uh, and, uh, and, and uh, for joining us. And certainly as we get ready and get started, um, I want to thank each and every one of you for joining us tonight. I uh, thought it was appropriate to start out with John Lewis and to have him uh, give us some insight and information and allow us to 
see exactly what his life was all about. I mean, of course, we know what his life was about. He was a congressman. He was a civil rights leader. He, uh, you know, marched with uh, Dr. Keene and others. But more importantly, he lived a life that was exemplary of exactly what the struggle is and what we've been talking about and why we're here tonight. And so tonight, as we look at that struggle in life in Black America after 250 years, after emancipation, after the Civil Rights Movement, after uh, African-American was elected president, we're still fighting for voting rights. We're still fighting for equal rights, human rights, uh, income equality, uh, housing equality. We're still fighting for the same things that we were fighting for 250 years ago. And quite honestly, it's like, why do we still have to fight for that? Why are we still at a moment in 2020, 2020, looking at stuff that we were fighting for 250 years ago? And the reason is, is because the systemic racism that we have to deal with, this is structural racism that we have to deal with, the, the suppression that we have to deal with in every form, not just voter suppression, but in every form, that's what we have to deal with. It's like right there that we have to go through. It's all over the place. And this is why we're here tonight. So tonight, we're going to be addressing those struggles, the fight, and those advancements. Because we have made progress, but progress isn't always there. Progress isn't always visible. It's not always in the moment that we can see it. So we're going to talk about that. And my panel tonight, which I'm so excited to have, they're no stranger to the spotlight and they're no stranger to the topics we're going to be discussing tonight. So they're going to give us all that we need. They're going to help us go deeper into the chapters of police brutality, voter suppression, the 2020 census, and the structural and systemic racism that we've been fighting for for the last 250 years. Joining me tonight from Los Angeles is law professor and former NASA engineer and manager. She's the publisher of LA Progressive, and that is Susan, Sharon Kyle, right? Dr. Wilma Leon will be joining us as well. He is a former political science adjunct professor from Howard University, and he is the host of Inside the Issues with Wilma Leon on XM Radio. Also joining us is Dr. Judy Lubin. She is the president of CURE, the Center for Urban and Racial Equality. She's uh, president and founder of CURE. Then we have Representative Jason Fields from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He is also the principal of the Black Wealth Network, and he's in his final year of service there uh, for the uh, Milwaukee State House. And we want to thank him for joining us as well. Then we'll have joining us later on tonight is New York retired detective, NYPD detective Mark Claxton. He's the director and director of public and political affairs for the Black Law Enforcement Alliance and a life member of the NAACP. And then anchoring our show tonight is Dr. Janine Abrams McLean. She is the vice president of Fair Count, the nonprofit organization that many of you know about. Uh, she co-founded with her sister Stacey Abrams there in Georgia to make sure that not only the census count, but your vote counts. So as we get started, I want to thank each and every one of you, uh, uh, Jason, uh, Sharon, everybody for joining us tonight and uh, allowing yourselves and to, you know, find yourself on this, you know, allowing yourselves to, to be a part of the show, to be a part of the program, and just, you know, taking time out to join us tonight. I want to thank you. I want to thank my staff, of course, for allowing us and helping us put this all together. So people, those of you watching in, joining in, if you want to uh, give us a call, it's 516-590-0143. Uh, that's the number to call, 516-590-0143 if you have any questions or comments. Or you can go to our Facebook uh, page at blackpoliticstoday.com and our uh, YouTube page at blackpoliticstoday.com and give us any questions or comments there, and we'll take those. 
So you guys are looking good. You're looking good. You're looking good. So I, as I was uh, starting to say, I was looking at uh, all of this here, and uh, I see that we have the whole the whole uh, process of looking at systemic racism. I think I was going to start with Mark, but let me start with you, Judy, because uh, as as we look at this and we talk about what brought us here, what started, how do we get here? The whole structural racism that this country has been dealing with has been codified in our constitution, in our local and state laws. And it's been, that's the way it's been for centuries. And when I think about it, I think about what John Lewis was marching for, what he was marching against and willing to lose his life for. And then we think about the system of injustice and everything that we've had to deal with as black folks and what we had to overcome. And lo and behold, Last week, I think it was last week, we got Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton. <laughs> Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton it does an interview with, I believe it's The Guardian, and he talks about um, slavery was a necessary evil for the foundation of this country. And he, I think he says it as like, um, let me see here. Um, we have to study the history of slavery and its role and impact on the development of our country because otherwise we can't understand our country, as the founding father said. Now, many of you guys know, our founding fathers didn't say nothing like that. Okay, nowhere in there did they say anything like that. His behind said that. But then to fall back and to come back from there, he then says, he then says, um, he's gonna introduce a bill that has, it's called Saving American History Act of 2020. Saving American History Act of 2020. And therefore, he's not going to, he's not going to, um, um, what, supply any federal funds to public schools if they decide to teach the 1619 Project. Are you serious? I mean, let's think about that. You're not going to fund the 1619, I mean, you're not going to fund public schools because you don't want the 1619 project taught in public schools. So we can't teach history from a black perspective, but certainly we can keep it from a white perspective. Judy, come on now. Because this is the same type of racism and things that John Lewis was dealing with when he was trying to get a library card. You're doing all this and going through this. Why is it okay for white folks to say it's okay for us to keep the white version of our history, but we cannot integrate, you know, a black perspective in there or doing things so that black folks can understand exactly what our history was and is? Yeah. 
work here with uh, uh, Senator Cotton, right? But we should expect, unfortunately, more of that, right? But but we are determined. We are focused. You know, we're, what we're trying to build, right, that this country needs to be uh, fundamentally transformed different institutions. Uh, we saw not just with COVID-19, but uh, police violence, right, that racism doesn't stop even in a pandemic where we're asked to stay home. That racism doesn't stop. That racist police violence doesn't stop. And so we have to stay focused. We have to head into every institution and transform each institution and undo racism because we, we've had enough. Yeah. We've had enough. And so my, my, the work that I'm trying to do now is focus on the vision, on the on what we're trying to create. Um, we, we know there's always going to be uh, resistance. Janine, let me come to you now and and talk about. I mean, there there's so many people out there that that talks about. They they're they're saying that um, uh, uh, they're 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 well. In my opinion, they're the racist or they're ignorant. Okay, and so and that's on white and black folks, Candace Owens. So they 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 sit there and they say the systemic racism doesn't exist, Candace Owens. And they say that we just need to get over it and, and just keep on moving. How do we get over a system of operation that is ingrained in the policies and the laws of our system? How do, how do we get over that? Sharon, that's what we have to do. We have to make sure 
that we are seen, that we are heard, that we're moving forward and we're going to the polls because that is a key principle of what's happened. But the systemic nature of us even trying to get there is an issue that we have to overcome. But like Janine says, we don't have to, but we have to be, I guess, uh, um, effective in dealing with it the way it is. So how do we put ourselves, or are we able to change these systems by just putting black folks in charge? Well, you know, while lynching is ugly, so is rape. You know, 
Right, right. It's it's been around forever. All right. Mark, let me come to you now, because uh, what what Sharon just said and what she touched on is that that idea where you're looking at um, a whole bunch that's going on in terms of the oldest structures of systemic racism that we've dealt with, and and that's in the form of policing, and and that is that area where we know today's structure of, of policing is is rooted in those slave patrols that we used to. Uh, hear about or we know about anyway, and how policing started and where it began and, and what it's doing. So when we think about that and we look at those efforts, our, uh, the, the, the personal experiences that we've all had here on the panel and people that we know about here on the panel that, that have dealt with that system, because that, I think that's the oldest system in the book, how are, are what will reallocating funds do? Because in my opinion, the reallocating of funds and, and this idea of, of taking money away from the police department isn't how we get to police brutality. I think the way we get to police brutality and, and this whole structure is through attitudes and through the, the policies and the systems on the street. So when you think about that, how do you think, or what, what is it, uh, in your opinion, as a former police officer and in the system and then being part of NAACP, uh, how do you think that should work? How, how should reallocating the funds actually operate, and will that be enough for us to deal with? Absolutely, and I'm glad you brought that up because it's, it's, it's something where we need to realize and recognize that, I mean, for, for, for Tom Cotton to literally come out and say that he wants to defund um, the, the K-12 education system 
because they want to teach the 1619 Project because he thinks that is propaganda or he doesn't agree with what they said and how they said it is 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 so 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 I, I I'm not gonna say what I want to say um, because 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 I mean this man his family owned slaves his family owned slaves and now you're going to tell America that you're going to basically take money away from K through 12 education because that's federal money that because K through 12 is funded by the federal government but you're going to take away that money because you don't want the 1619 project taught because you don't like what it says but you don't mind that but then here come to you and say but you can't reallocate money for the police department because we don't want that but yet black and brown people the ones that dying at the police department you know at the hands of i mean the 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 Somebody help me out here because I, I, I really want to say, Jason, come on here. I, I really want to say what I want to say, but, you know, I always get some pushback. So I'm trying to be nice and calm. I told them I wasn't going to cuss tonight, and I told them I wasn't going to cuss nobody out tonight, Candace Owens. But you know what? I just really need to, like, somebody to address that for me because that's ridiculous. How are you going to sit there? Go ahead, Sharon. Jump in. J- Jason, you took too long. <laughs> Right. that's where we where we need to look at it and how we need to move forward because those individuals that are in office they need to check him and we need to make sure they check him and then we need to if they don't check him then we need to check them <laughs> so if, if they don't check him we need to check them and make sure we get out of that i want to uh, move forward too because i i want to take that whole idea of the structural and systemic racism that we're dealing with 
and move to the police brutality because that's ultimately uh, one of the places where we see it most impacted in our community, in our lives, uh, as we move down the whole ideas of the topics that we're going to discuss tonight. Because this dude right here, uh, Derek Chauvin, he was not worried about whether or not the police department was going to get or receive funding. So defunding the police department wasn't on his mind at this point in time. He didn't really care. His knee on George uh, Floyd's neck was about power and attitude. And that's why I said earlier, I think police brutality and, and systemic racism is always about an attitude of the people and the policies. Because if you sit here and you watch him, the whole time he was there for that eight minutes and 46 seconds, he was sitting there doing what he wanted to do because he had done it before. He felt empowered to do it. And he said, can't you, you can't do anything about it. Let me show you what I can do. And there ain't a damn thing you can do about it because for me, that's the root of police brutality. Right there, that attitude, this dude, the way he's looking at George Floyd right now, the way he's looking at him and how he's got his hand in his pocket or on his hip and sitting there saying, yeah, I can't breathe. You can't breathe? So what? I don't care that you can breathe. It doesn't matter. Go ahead with the video. It doesn't matter that you can't breathe, right? I, 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 I don't care, right? And that is the problem that I have and, and the problem we see. Go ahead and unmute yourself. things that I when I saw that I said I had to play that because I wanted to I wanted to look at it one of the things that that it, it surprised me although I knew about it but it was the idea or the reminder not the idea but the reminder of so many women who have died and we have not necessarily given them the same due, uh, uh, just that we've given the brothers that we have and and I, I think it's something that I wanted to make sure I highlighted when I saw that because in, in that clip alone, we saw more women than we saw men, and it was powerful to me because, I'll be honest, I don't know all the women's names, and it's something that I'm sure that many of us don't know all the women's names because they didn't get as much 
attention because they may not have been shot. They were strangled or they were uh, uh, choked or they were put in a, in a compromising position where they had bags put over their face, spit bags put over their face, and then they went to cardiac arrest and other things of that nature. So they didn't get the attention that they deserved uh, behind that. But being an elected official and, 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 you know, city councils, mayors, and state legislatures, one of the things that I know that governments do when, when they struggle with policing is that they pass these laws because they're afraid of being soft on crime. And Democrats struggled with that for years. Uh, they were, especially at the presidential level, they would get caught up in being called out for being soft on, soft on, on, on crime and, and not being able to uh, uh, like put everything out until Clinton came around and he said, I'm going to be tough on crime. I'm going to put 100,000 uh, cops on the street. I'm going to uh, make sure that we're out there. And so uh, conservative Democrats and, and independents said, I'm going to go with him and I'm going to give him a chance. And then he put 100,000 people on the street. And then we had, it was that continuation of the war on drugs. And then we had the, the mass arrests and mass incarceration and things of that nature because those targets were black and brown communities. They didn't send you know, them to the other communities. So how do we make sure that the policy shift and the attitude shift comes about to stop police from killing black folks? time ago. <laughs>
Because I think a lot of things that, that we're addressing and a lot of things that we need to come from comes from a policy perspective and a structural perspective or systematic or systemic perspective and what's happening because cops are, in essence, enforcing what they have been told to do by mayors and city councils and what Mark said and, and what uh, uh, Jason said is that they're enforcing the policies and laws. Because if you think about it, the, the mayors and, and the state legislators are saying, go out there and, and, and fight the war on drugs. And they send you out there and they tell you to fight the war on drugs, but they don't send you to the white community. They send you to the black community. That's like white people do drugs too. In fact, like, I think, I can't remember who it was said it. We don't have planes shipping it in here. <laughs> we don't own no planes to bring it in here. So it's coming in. It's coming to our neighborhood, but we're not the ones who are actually able to like bring it in and, and bring it. So you got, so you have the, the the territorial and the boundary wars for the gangs in our cities, and then you have the the mayors and everybody saying, "Go out there and police our streets," and the and the war is our streets, and then the police are charged to enforce that. So they're enforcing the policies to get rid of the people out there. But like I said, they're sending the people to the black community. So in one part of it. I think it's a territorial war because the policy says fight the war on crime. The mayors and the people in charge says go to the black community. And that's their policy. They don't tell them to go to the white community. So aren't we dealing with policies that we need to take down, strip down, get rid of, and elect people or put people in office to change those policies? Number of uh, police killings actually 
nurturing so our communities truly are safe so that our communities are really are really healthy right and so that's what we're battling not just on a local level but but nationally is you know in you know the politics of like a senator time right that even in this moment right now where we're still waiting for a, another bill right people are the eviction moratorium is about to run out uh the the six hundred dollar uh, unemployment uh add-on Right. that we can fight 
Go ahead. Yeah, because cause that's coming up next anyway. That's coming up next. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. Talk about it. <laughs> Absolutely, and and that's something that uh, certainly we're about to get to uh, uh, next because that piece, that 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 piece right there, <laughs> that is the piece that I I wait to get to. But I I, I want to uh, come to you, Mark, on this uh, with the with the the idea of this police brutality and this idea of territory and taking over, um, because when I when I saw this video. And uh, I, I was looking at it, and, and, and this whole thing, I mean, it, it just got me. Because I, I, I see this right here where he kicks this dude, and uh, this is an old video. In fact, uh, uh, Jason, this is in, in – in, I mean, not Jason. 
Um, this is uh, actually in St. Paul, um, Minnesota, right? Uh, Minneapolis, because I, I, I was thinking about it. Um, I saw this, and one of the things when I was a cop, uh, uh, Mark, I don't remember the unions negotiating their contracts the way they do now, right? You see this? I don't remember the unions negotiating their contracts where they can't be arrested, they can't go to jail, they, nothing can happen to them, right? And they just basically work with impunity. They pull in his hair, they kicking him, they beating his brothers behind. And so when you think about these contracts, and I'm, I'm, I want to talk to you about it as, as a former, uh, you know, NYPD, how did you guys negotiate these contracts with these cities that says you can beat somebody behind, you can kick them, and not have any repercussions? Jason, I mean, when, when, when you got the cities, uh, I mean, the police unions holding the cities hostage um, in fear because they are afraid of, you know, the police unions going to balk at them or they're, they're going to stop them from being able to uh, um, protect the city and things like that. Aren't they just continuing and furthering the same structural systemic racism uh, and, and the, uh, empowering the police themselves because they're just continuing that systemic cycle because the police are saying, well, if you don't give us what we want and, and let us do it the way we want to do it, a la slave patrol, then we're not going to protect the city. We're not going to do anything. So cities, in, in some essence, are being held hostage because of these policies. No, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, when we look at, or just take an example, I 
or whoever who's afraid, right, of that power. So this is what we talk about, people who are afraid to make a decision and say, listen, uh, we understand that, but at the same point in time, we can't just allow this, uh, this status quo to continue because it's not helping. And I think what you replied to, you have more leaders who sit up and said, listen, uh, you know, if, if a person is going to country and other places, it seems like the movement has been hijacked in, in some cases. It, it, at least it looks that way. It, it looks like what started out as Black Lives Matter and, and put forth, it looks like white lives have t- hijacked that because a lot of the violence comes after Black Lives Matter leaves, goes home for the curfew, and then everybody's out there one, two in the morning setting fire to federal buildings. Now, why are we standing in front of a federal building, a federal courthouse, allowing the chime to go on? I don't know. But has Black Lives Matter lost control of this movement? And if so, how do they regain it? And as, as, as Jason said, how do we make sure that we move those people who are outside of the area and keep the people inside? 
situation is not sustainable. We are not going to be having global protests forever. Right. So we need to take advantage of whatever we can take advantage of. But the truth of the matter is, when we talk about changing policy, like getting rid of qualified, uh, the qualified immunity doctrine that protects police officers, pretty much they can do whatever they want, and they don't have to be concerned about losing their pension or paying any kind of personal cost. We can look at changing those kinds of policies, but when it comes down to it, no amount of legislating, litigating, or lobbying will replace a serious time of truth and reconciliation and an acknowledgement of what has happened to black, brown, the indigenous people of this country for hundreds of years. Until we really get down to that, I think that what will what will happen is we'll consider we'll continue to see the morphing, which is what we had. You know, somebody said, and it could have been signed by Hans Pope, that um, the past isn't over. It isn't even the past. Right. And, and so what we you know we keep addressing things from a legislative, not to say that we shouldn't. We do need to address legislation, and we do need to litigate, and we do need to lobby. But we got to get down to the core, and that requires truth and reconciliation. So, Mark, um, let's follow with that because, you know, I mean, putting on and thinking about it from the NAACP uh, standpoint and and what she's saying, because I agree uh, that we have to uh, stay focused, stay vigilant and, and move forward. And so my my the, the question is, in, in the sense of it appears at times that the, the, the Black Lives Matter movement is movement segmented by state and not collectively uh, focused in, in one direction. And, and I, I want you to address that or talk about that. So if that is the case, and I, I don't know that it is, and, and, but if that's the case, is that because there is no central leadership like the civil rights movement was in 65, where you had a central leadership and you had a, a, a national platform and a national goal, as opposed to the segments of what's going on from state to state to state, and is there, is there a need for a, a central leadership? And does that weaken the message because they don't have it? Are you talking about the not-for-profit organization that has some structure? Are you talking about the not-for-profit organization that's kind of connected formal organization? Are you talking about 
I want to uh, give you opportunity to give us a call at 516-590-0143. That's 516-590-0143. Or certainly you can uh, hit us up on Facebook at blackpoliticstoday.com and I believe uh, uh, YouTube as well, blackpoliticstoday.com, if you have any questions or comment. But uh, give us a call at 516-590-0143. I, think, uh, I want to thank you guys out there on uh, Facebook. I, I see you, Sheriff Burkhead, uh, out of uh, North Carolina the first uh, black elected sheriff in that city's or county's 140 year history. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I want to thank you, sir, for uh, jumping up and, and helping us out and uh, joining us because certainly uh, I'm going to have you on the broadcast and uh, bring you back out here again. So you can talk about all the things you're doing down there in Durham, uh, North Carolina as the first elected African-American eight black sheriffs elected in 2018. First time that's ever happened in those counties in that state. So I certainly want to thank them and uh, appreciate uh, him joining us and, and being a part of the discussion. 516-590-0143. 516-590-0143. Arsene, what's going on, man? One of our, uh, our writers for BlackPoliticsToday.com, uh, Arsene Frederick. Uh, certainly you can uh, see his articles in, um, in our uh, latest issue, uh, uh, the previous issue, our, our May and June issue of BlackPoliticsToday.com. Uh, magazine at blackpoliticstoday.com. Uh, I want to go to the census now and, and take a look because one of the things for me is that we need to make sure that we put people in place. And I know we talked about this earlier and we talked about not just electing black folks to be in leadership and, and having them there. And I agree with that, but I, I also agree that we need to have some black folks in leadership, especially in places where we have not been before and where we need to be. But then we have to just have to hold them accountable. Uh, the same way we hold other folks accountable, we got to hold our people accountable. And a lot of times we don't like to as our people, especially if it's the first time they're there, we don't want to go in and beat them up. We want to give them a chance because we let white folks or, or anybody else stay there forever and we never beat them up or, or take them out. So I think we need to make sure that we put people in place that hold our best interests. Because when we think about the next 10 years, we need to make sure that we have people in place that have our best interests because over the next 10 years, we got to control our political power. Our political power over this next 10 years is going to be critical. And if we do not take a hold of this movement and this moment, Black America, we can no longer sit around and think about or think that somebody else is going to uh, uh, have our best interest at hand or somebody else is going to do it for us because they're part of this party or that party or because they, you know, hang with us or do this. No, we have to do it ourselves. We have to decide that in 2020, as I said, and I've called this the Black Reset, we have to decide that we're going to do it. Whatever is going to happen, however we're going to do it, we have to do it ourselves, which means that every member of your household your sister's household, your brother's household, big mama's household, 
everybody that you know that's black or brown, that looks like you, talks like you, hangs with you, eats dinner with you, your good cooking, your bad cooking, whatever it is, they but better register, sign up, and complete the census. Because 2020 census, if we don't do that, 10 years of our political power, our economic power, and our social impact is going to impact our community devastatingly, and we're not going to know what's going to happen. Play it. Go ahead, one more time. I want to make sure they hear it. It's fine. No, go back one. Go back one, Brian. Go back to the census. I want you to play the census again because I want to make sure it's heard. Just unmute. Well, we couldn't hear it, but Sharon, you're going to help us out anyway, because in your article, um, in, in this current issue of, of Black Politics Today magazine, and, and the current issue that we have, you talk about prison gerrymandering, and you talk about um, the census, prison gerrymandering, and you highlight the flaws of the system's enumerating process, and the individuals in prison, and how that in itself defies what the state constitutions and the statute says are supposed to be, you know, where we're counting. So talk to us about your article. Give us some understanding of what prison gerrymandering is. And then Janine, I'm gonna let you rip. I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go, girl. Okay. I'm gonna let you go. <laughs> Sharon, go ahead and talk to us about that. Sharon, 
it's okay. Make a mistake. That means they have to buy the magazine and they can read it there. Don't worry about that. <laughs> girl you can take it up because we talked about this at the urban league when we were when we had our panel um the the the, the this again another system structure <laughs> of, of of you know keeping us out and putting us off and, and doing those kind of things another system and structure that we have uh now we're counted but we don't count you know we don't count what we need to count we only count what they want us to count and again we're now property again and they're benefiting from us again and they're using us again, but we're not getting the benefits from the dollars again. So we're in the white rural communities. We're not in the city. We're not where we need to be. And it's out there. As, as Sharon talked about, $1.5 trillion. And if we don't respond to this, and now we got COVID and COVID's impacting this, how do we make sure we get this money because of the systemic nature that we have to deal with Candace Owens? How do we make sure we get our money? Yeah, I, I'm coming after her. I'm coming after her. I, I, you guys haven't seen it yet, but I'm coming after her behind. <laughs> Right now, tomorrow, we are, um, we'll be, uh, the, the Congressional Black Caucus 
Jason, that is, is critical, man. I mean, and, and you guys having a battle up there in Wisconsin, because when you, when you and Judy and I, we had our, our, our conversation back, I think, in uh, March or, or May before the, before the pandemic really hit. You were at your first election, your first primary you guys were having out there, and I was talking about the foolishness of your governor, uh, not the governor, but the state legislature uh, and your speaker, uh, wrapped up in a whole medical garb talking about, oh, it's okay to safe to come out and vote. It's okay to safe to come out. I wanted to pimp slap his behind. But, I mean, it's just crazy. I, you got $1.5 trillion out there, and we don't have the HBCUs. We don't have the churches. We don't have our normal areas where we can collectively go out there and hit this. So what's going to be our alternative to make sure that we don't miss out? Because Jay, uh, uh, Sharon and, and, and uh, Janine hit it. It's critical. We're talking about 10 years. We don't get a do-over. We can't come back next year and fix it. It has to be done this year. And the, the here we go again, Candace Owens, systemic, the system of what they're doing from the post office to everything else, they're trying to dismantle it all and keep us where we are. Yeah. 
Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. I just so sick and tired of that. That is absolutely true, Judy, because uh, we talked about it, and the, the COVID issue is huge. The COVID is, is keeping black folks back. We're dying from it. We have a, a huge rate of it. Um, everything is critical behind this. And like Judy said, it's that whole thing of we don't want to talk to the government. We don't want to tell them nothing. We don't want to say nothing. But we really have to be able to get into our churches, get into our communities, get to our, our um, uh, fraternities, our sororities, these HBCUs, um, do something. Because if they're going to cut back the door knocking for a month and you're out in the rural areas and even in the inner city, but you're not, you don't have access to the Internet and things like that, and if they cut back the door knocking, that's another segment of missed people that we're going to have. And here in Washington, D.C., they did not, in 2010, count Ward 7 and Ward 8, which is the predominantly black neighborhoods. They didn't even count them. They estimated them in 2010. So clearly, you know, and I'm in Ward 8 now, we've lost a whole lot of money. So I'm trying to make sure that that doesn't happen again. But that's what we're going to have to deal with. Sharon, let me go to you while while we get Janine fixed, uh, Judy fixed.
undocumented immigrants. Well, according to the Constitution of the United States, the purpose of the census is to, to count every living human being that is inside of our borders. Doesn't matter if they have citizenship papers or not. That's not important. You know, the purpose of the census is to try to determine how to equitably allocate resources. Right. And to you, Janine, and, and talk about what ultimately do we have to do and how ultimately can we overcome this? And, and, and as you answer that question, uh, uh, Detective uh, Claxton, Mark asked the question about college students. And Oh, you answered this question about where they're going to be counted at. All right, I see that. But go ahead and, and, and answer that question. What do we do now, given what we already know and, and, and COVID and how we deal with things, what does everyone need to do, given the alternative of what we have? Absolutely. No, no. Well, certainly give us that information real quick. What's what's the information for tomorrow night at your town hall? Oh, okay. Okay. All right. So the, the impact of the, the census is going to be critical, and, that, and that's what we're looking for and what we need um, and uh, to make sure that we're out there. Because if, if we don't, like I said, it, it's going to be a 10-year battle. It's going to be a 10-year battle, and we need to know exactly what's going on because voter suppression is real. If we don't participate, we got 10 years to mess up. And think about that. 
10 years from now is 2030, just a few years short of when we're supposed to be the majority. Black and brown folks are supposed to be the majority. Now, I was just looking at some numbers the other day. If we don't play our cards right, we're already at, I think it was what, uh, $14,000 net wealth. Uh, uh, our, our net worth is, is $14,000. Latinos, I think, is, or no, ours is 11000 Latinos is 14000 and whites is 110000 So you see this gap. And if we don't participate in this census, if we don't participate in voting and getting people in office that have policies and change them, we're going to get stuck. And voter suppression is real. There's a whole idea about it. I think we're ready with that, uh, Brian. Go ahead. I'm going to keep talking until you get it. Because if, if, if we decide that, like we did in 2016, we're going to sit on our behind because we're going to say we don't like her or we don't like him or we're going to do the, what is it called, um, uh, the, the, the something of two evils. Yeah, that ain't going to work. All right? Play it. So, Mark, um, this whole thing, put, put, put on your civil rights hat for me, because the idea that the Supreme Court is going to say that, oh, we don't need the v, uh, Voting Rights Act any longer. We don't need Title V, Section 5. We don't need this because, you know what? Black people voted overwhelmingly in 2008, and they beat out white people voting in 2012. We don't need this any longer. How stupid and ridiculous is that? I, I like what Ginsburg said. It's like saying, you got to, you know, take my umbrella and I'm in the middle of a storm. This whole idea of voter suppression from everything that we're dealing with right now is critical. Look, the, the, the post office, uh, the, the, the states, Georgia, Brian Kemp, DeSantis, all these dudes, you know, and how they're moving things around and how they're, they're, they're stopping things. How are we going to uh, uh, move past and, and, and I know it's kind of, you know, a, a, a crazy question, but how do we then fight the, the suppression that we're going to end, uh, uh, experience so that we can make sure that not only our vote is counted, but we can break past these other barriers that we have to deal with? Mark Claxton. Absolutely. Sharon, 
let me come back to you as well on this because when I think about, oh. Exactly. Sharon, um, I was going to say to you, because I, I look back to 1981 when <clears throat> the uh, Voting Rights Act was going to be ratified. And what happened was that in Mississippi, they required you to register twice. No, three times. They, they, required, they required you to register twice for three elections. So you had to drive 50 miles to the county seat and register for the county and state election then you had to turn around and come back home to your regular hometown and register for the city election. Nowhere in America have I ever heard of you have to register twice for three different elections. And now they just changed the game. So now we have to bring an ID. They close the, the polling place. They move the polling place or they uh, uh, purge the voter roll. These things and, and, and looking at it from the standpoint of, what the secretaries of state's doing, like in Louisville, Kentucky, Georgia, it's absolutely crazy. And, and, and really, it should be illegal, but there's not. So how are we going to deal with it, and why hasn't someone sued to make it illegal? We do, Judy. We have to go real deep. And it has to be something where we completely take I, – I, my thing is we got to take over the system. And, and uh, I said it earlier, we have to take over the system. We have to put people in place that have and hold our best interests. And, and in some cases, all cases, that needs to be us. And it can't be us that are, 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 are sellouts. They can't be us that want to do something different. Um, but uh, as Brian says right there, why is Congress not doing more to stop voter suppression? Uh, what, what, what more can Congress do, Judy? I mean, they're, they're trying to do something, but what more can they do? None whatsoever.
Right. There can't be, right? Exactly. Especially, especially if you got a Supreme Court that's going to do that, just like that. Janine, let me go to you quickly um, and and talk and and ask. Like uh, uh, Sharon said, the ACLU is all over the place uh, filing lawsuits and doing things. I look at the Fifteenth Amendment because you got the Fifteenth, the Nineteenth, and the Twenty-sixth Amendment all talking about voting, and and all of them, you know, identify either you know uh, race, sex, uh, color of skin, and, and other things. But I think the 15th Amendment is one where the rights of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. So I look at that and I say, can't or why, and, and, and Sharon, I may come back to you for this too, where are our legal scholars saying imprisonment is that condition of servitude that we are no longer under any longer to fight for and use that as the, the 15th Amendment as the, the uh, rationale to make sure that those who are in prison can get their voting rights back? Is there, is there a way for us to do that? Sharon? Sh- Sharon? Go ahead. Answer. All right. All right. Go ahead, Sharon. Right. So, Jenny, yeah, go ahead, Jenny, because I was going to come to you. So, speaking of your sister, um, VP Stakes is going on, and so I want to I want to put it out to to to, to, to all the panelists. Actually, uh, who is your choice and why? Uh, we got a few minutes left, and I I, I want to know because I want to comment and 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 see where you guys are going. So I'm not going to start with you, Janine. I'm going to let you. <laughs> I'm not going to start with you. <laughs> so, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, Mark, let me ask you, who's, who's, who? <laughs> you've been quiet too long, bro. You've been quiet too long. I want, I want to come to you. Who's your choice and, and, and why? And, and, and what do you, what do you see, what do you see out there? That's all right, man. Right. <laughs> exactly. Potato. Potato. Right. Right. <laughs> Tell me about it. Judy, 
Judy, wh- who, who's your choice and, and, and why? So which one do you want? Which one you want? Which one you want, Judy? <laughs> Come on, Judy. Which one you want? <laughs> Who's your first instinct? First instinct. Give me top three. Give me top three. Give me top three. All right. Okay. All right, Jason. Who you got? Right, right, right. Exactly. Right. All right. Sharon? <clears throat> 76, I think, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. All right. Uh, all right. I'm, 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 you name two. I'm gonna give it to you. All right, uh, 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 Janine. Who, who's your choice? She named two. She named two. I'm gonna give her. She named two. I'm, I'm gonna give her. I'm gonna give her a break. I'm looking at my time. Actually, I'm looking at my time. All right, Janine. What's what? What's what, who's your choice? You want you want? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And. And I'm gonna. All right, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna correct it because one thing I love about your sister is she I, I call her the communicator in chief as they used to uh, uh, I think they called uh, Clinton that at one time. But when she's asked questions and when she talks, she breaks it down to the least common denominator so everyone can understand it. And I think like Jason said, she's a galvanizing force where she can pull everybody together. Uh, she pulls the blacks together, the whites, the young and the old and everybody, and like she did in Georgia. Uh, so I'm behind her 100%. I think Susan Rice would be good in the, in the sense because of the administrative experience. And I like Val Demings. And I like Kamala, too. But I'm, I'm looking at the point of where Val is in Florida and that being a state that we really need. Um, and so then I'm looking at Stacey in Georgia, but also that, that galvanizing force. So real quick, everybody, 30 seconds. What's at stake for us? What's at stake for Black America? Uh, Mark, hit me off. Start off with us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Judy, what's at stake? 
We really could. We... All right. Absolutely. Sharon, what's at stake? Janine, what's at stake? Jason, what's at stake? Absolutely. That will be that will be a six to three margin. And right now, Democrats could have a six to three margin had uh, 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 Hillary gotten elected and we did something in the Senate. I want to thank you guys. I want to appreciate you. I also want to let everyone know if you see the backdrop behind me, certainly in our uh, the next uh, uh, few um, town halls we're going to do. We're going to be looking for you if you want to be behind us and, and, and show your sponsorship and let us know and talk to you. Uh, shout out to Covenant House, Homeless Nation. Uh, Don, uh, Bonner Dental Network and Sparity, uh, Rocky, uh, Rockabye uh, Media, let us know. Certainly we'll uh, put our information out there. Give us a call or send us an email at information, info at blackpoliticstoday.com. Info at blackpoliticstoday.com. We also have our water uh, bottles here. Uh, let me get that up there. Water bottles on our website. We got these water bottles on our website, Black Politics Today, so certainly get out there. We have big tote bags. All right, so we want to make sure that we talk about uh, share everything up. We got the 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 uh, mouse pad. We got that out there too. So certainly go to our website blackpoliticstoday.com. Uh, click on the store and get anything you want to have out there. With we'll, uh, t-shirts, hats, caps, and all that good stuff. Uh, we want to do that. I want to thank my guests tonight: uh, Sharon Kyle, Jason Fields, uh, Judy Lubin, Janine uh, McLean, uh, Abrams McLean. Mark Claxton, all right? I want to thank each of you. They're going to be back again for, our, uh, uh, for one of our other town halls. I'm not going to tell you now because I need you to go to blackpoliticsday.com. I need you to get online. I need you to become uh, a member so that you can register, so you can get that information because it's about us and 2020. There is no mistake about it. Every one of them already talked about it. It's about us. We have to do it. We're the only ones that can do it. We have to make sure our best interest is held uh, in our hands and not someone else's hands, but in our hands. We can do it with your help. It has to be something done this year. You have to do the census. You have to be out there. You have to vote. Black America, there is so much to make sure, and there's so much at stake. Make sure that you get everyone in your household registered to vote. I don't care if you register. I don't care if you voted last week. They will try to purge you. Make sure you re-register to vote, and you can go to, uh, I think it's um, uh, vote.com, and make sure you can find out across the state, across the country, wherever you are, make sure you re-register to vote. I don't care if you did it yesterday. Go back in three weeks, do it again, because they may purge you. Make sure you do that. And make sure you show up early in November. Do not wait for election day. Repeat it. Do not wait for election day. Show up early. Vote early. I would say vote often, but that's illegal. But vote early, all right, and get out there and understand that Trump, Barr, McConnell, they are going to run this country in the ground if they get another four years. We've already seen what they've done. 
So you don't have to ask yourself what they're going to do. You don't have to pretend they're going to do something different. It's out there. We're going to do it, and it's going to happen. So I want to make sure you do out there because, like I said, this is about us, and it's time for the Black Reset. So uh, bring my guests up. I want to thank each and every one of you again. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. Open up their mics, and, and uh, 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 let's make sure that when we do this again, because uh, uh, we have the economic town hall, we got the education and health town hall, and then we got the political town hall. And each one of you guys are coming back again. So I'm excited. I want to thank you. This is our first town hall. This is the first time we did. And I am just excited that I had each and every one of you to kick it off, to start it off. It was a great conversation. Thank you so much. Janine, thank you. I want to get your sister on here next time, too. Help us out. Sharon, thank you. Jason, appreciate you. Judy, love you. Mark, my brother from New York. I appreciate you guys all. Until next time. Until next week. If it's social, economic, or political, it's Black Politics Today. Good night, everybody. Thank you for listening to Black Politics Today on I for What's at Stake in Global Politics with your host, Kelly Michael Williams. Join us live each Monday from 7 to 8 p.m. Until next time, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and download us on iTunes at Black Politics Today.